Hey you, welcome back to Anointed Fire. I'm Tiffany Buckner and amazingly enough, this is like the third time I've tried to record on today. Um, don't, I'm not even sure why I stopped the last one. Nevertheless, that's neither here nor there. I want to deal with healing um, because I think that that is something that is absolutely necessary. What's really motivating me want, to want to talk about healing is on Wednesday I had um, oral surgery. And let me tell you something, coming up to the event, I was terrified. I, you know what? I can't even say that. I was relatively afraid. I did counsel it about two or three times. I don't think I was terrified of the surgery itself or scared of the surgery itself. I was confident that I would pull through. I was confident that God would bring me through. I think the thing that I was most afraid of was the healing process, and that's going to bless somebody. I was most afraid of the healing process, the pain after the surgery because I knew you know during the surgery you're gonna be doped up you know they're gonna make sure that you don't feel anything and that part I didn't worry about it was the aftermath that I was concerned about and if you hear and I'm talking a little bit funny it's because I still have stitches uh, but that was the thing that I was most concerned about was the aftermath the healing process I honestly I just didn't want to go through it I didn't want to have that downtime um, and you know what's amazing or what's funny is the fact that I am, and I don't want to use this word because it is a label, but I am a I am a workaholic. That is something I can say I, that I definitely inherited. Um, it was passed down from my mom's side of the family. It came through my granddad, um, and it hit my mom. It hit my mom, one of my mom's sisters, and it hit me. Um, and at the same time, on top of me being a workaholic. I have a grace from my mom's side, my dad's side of the family, from my great grandmother, who was also, um, I don't want to say that she was a workaholic. She was def definitely a type A. Um, and this is the beautiful part about her. She was a type A, but she was submissive. You know, because a lot of people don't think that type A's can submit. They can. It just takes the right person. Um, and when I say submit, please don't think control, because that, that's like a curse word today, and a lot of people don't understand what the word submit means. But, my great-grandmother, my dad's um, grandma, who the one that raised him, um, I have that grace that's on her life, which is for entrepreneurship or what have you. My dad uh, was raised by her and his grandfather because his mother passed away when he was four. I remember he's been saying four all these years, but recently I noticed he posted up seven years old, so I don't know which age he was. He was either four or seven. I'm sticking with four because that's all I've heard my whole life. Um, but his great-grandmother raised him, so she is essentially my gra my grandmother because that's all I knew her to be. She passed away when I was five or six years old, um, and she was a definite, a definite workaholic. Um, and like I said, I don't necessarily want to say workaholic with her. I do want to say she owned two businesses. Her and her husband passed to the church. Um, not sure if they did that long because I don't remember uh, seeing them pastor a church. I don't remember that. I just remember knowing that they've pastored a church, but I do remember going to church with her. I do remember seeing people dancing and screaming, and I remember being a little girl, and I, I remember that that scared me. So I'm saying all that to say that the biggest insecurity that I had, the biggest fear that I had, was I didn't want to deal with the healing process. And I think about relationships, for example. Let's talk about like a romantic relationship. It's typically the same thing. And believe me when I say this, 
there's somebody that you know personally who needs to hear this. If you happen to be with somebody, let's say if you're married to a toxic person, a narcissist, there comes a time in your life when you realize that the marriage is not going to work. Well, for most people. Some people come to that conclusion. It depends on the person. Um, I was talking about this on the recording I did earlier. You know, I've, I was married twice. Um, but I remember, I can tell you with him, he had no idea that the marriage would come to an end. He just, he didn't believe that it would come to an end because his his parents remained married um, all the way up until, I mean, his mother passed away. But they did not, and she passed away way long after me and him broke up. So that's a whole other story. But they remained married. As toxic as their relationship was, as much adultery was in their relationship, that was something that he came to, he came into agreement with. That was something that he felt like was a normal part of a relationship. Because realistically speaking, as humans, there are a lot of attractive humans out there, right? There are a lot of people out there who have um, amazing personalities, potential. There are so many great things that you will find in people. And one of the things that you have to control is covetousness. And the Bible speaks against it. You don't want to covet something that somebody else has. You don't want to covet something that does not belong to you. And so we've learned to do, you know, like, for example, you have a car and somebody pulls up next to you in a Rolls Royce. If you know you can't afford that, then you don't try to fool with that Rolls Royce. If you're silly, you'll go out there and put yourself in debt trying to get in that Rolls Royce. Uh, but if you're wise, you come to understand that in due season, that Rolls Royce will be yours. And I always, you know, I'm an advocate for buying it cash. I'm not a person that believes in pay, buying something and paying monthly notes on it. So because his parents had a toxic relationship, uh, because their marriage was riddled with infidelity and them um, physically, not even them physically assaulting each other. Uh, but it, it, there was violence. It was more from his mom to his dad because they had a lot of that. And it's the same thing that was in my parents' relationship was my mom was physically violent toward my dad because my dad committed adultery. But because that was the norm that I could, I came to the conclusion or I came to the realization that the abuse that he put me through had everything to do with first and foremost, anger demons he picked up when he was younger, what have you. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that his fear of me walking away. Realistically speaking, he came to the real he came to realize that I wasn't like his mother, nor was I like his father. Meaning that I wasn't gonna stick around through the cheating. He came to realize that and I found that a lot of times when you're dealing with people, they will do things to you as a one it's an attempt to get you to break you and then two it's also an attempt to punish you you know it's almost like well let me go ahead and get my licks in since you've already left me you know in my mind it's almost like you've already left me or what have you but i i've, I've learned looking at that dynamic because his parents had that relationship that stayed regardless of the fact that it was toxic that was what he was expecting the dynamic with myself, on the other hand, was my parents were married for 16 years. They broke up um, after the 15-year mark, but um, their divorce was finalized after 16 years. 
But because they broke up, my mother filed for divorce because after she discovered that my dad had an outside child. And, you know, it was a whole lot behind that. My dad did the craziest thing with his outside child. You know, she would have divorced him anyway about this outside child. But he took it to the next level on top of that. You know, he bought the outside child to the house. He took money out the bank account. So he added every layer on top. He just made it far worse. So, um... Once that my mother discovered that my dad had an outside child, and the child was nine years old, I was 15. My little sister was nine. So this other little girl that my dad had outside was nine. My mother told my dad to get out, and she filed for divorce. And my mom, and I can honestly say, I picked up that headstrongness from my mom. Once my mom made up her mind, that's it. You know, that's it. Her mind is made up. She's not going to back down from it. And what have you. So that's how I can be. And so what I mean by that, I'm not talking about stubborn. And I guess you can call that stubborn to some degree. But I'm not talking about being stubborn. I'm talking about my mother is the type of person, or was the type of person that, as you know, she would hold on. She would fight. She'd do all of the other stuff. But I, I can't even say my mother. I can't even say me. I can say women. Women are like that. That is a, that is a trait for women. A lot of women, once a woman makes a decision so women we are sentence makers i like to think of it this way we'll keep putting a comma a question mark and everything else behind you know a toxic relationship but there comes a point with a lot of women that will put a period at the end of that relationship so we start going through the process women whenever a woman is in a relationship a woman starts going through the process uh, of hurting and healing while in the relationship that's the dynamic between men and women men and women are different men on the other hand for the most part most men don't think or they don't conceptualize uh, the whole thing about divorce they don't think that you're going to go through a divorce they don't think you will divorce them and honestly i'm not a proponent for a divorce at all the only time i you know i support it is when there's abuse and things are just toxic and death is sitting on the corner what have you like extreme cases and both cases where i ended up getting a divorce they were extreme cases they were not minor cases it was not a situation where i was intolerant and said you know what mm -mm, not me no it wasn't a case like that um the first time it was this guy it wasn't just one affair he had multiple affairs i tolerated a whole lot and then at the top of, on top of all that abuse and it just got worse and worse um and it wasn't until i opened my mouth and one of my best friends at the time said to me, he's going to kill you someday. If you don't get out this marriage, he's going to kill you. And it wasn't until I effortlessly opened my mouth and said, I know that I realized that, you know what, Tiffany, this is not a good situation. Don't want to talk about that, but I'm just saying that to say that when it comes to the, the reason I held on, I'll say with him, the reason I held on for so long was because I was afraid of the healing process. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with the hurt. I didn't, I mean, I, I can honestly say, you know, halfway through the marriage, I knew that, hey, this isn't going well. This, is, this isn't looking good. But I didn't want to deal with the healing process. 
I didn't want to deal with the hurt that would come after a breakup. I didn't want to deal with the shame. You know, I think that that's a big part. That's a major part. I think the shame is what makes so many people angry. You know, it's not just the shame. It's the hope deferred that makes the heart sick. It's the expectations. I didn't want to deal with it. But let me tell you something. This is what changed my mind. I had a thought come in one day. And this thought is a marker in my life. This thought I had, I, I, I questioned myself. I said, okay, Tiff. You're afraid of the aftermath. You're afraid of how long it's going to, how, how bad it's going to hurt. How long it's going to take you to heal. You're, you're afraid of what it's going to look like, you know, because when you're married, you don't envision your future without that person. You envision your future with that person. But then I challenged myself. I said, but Tiff, look at it this way. You're already hurting. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. You are already in pain. So what you're trying to avoid, you're already dealing with. You're just thinking that it's going to be on another level. Maybe it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to crush you. It's going, it's going to destroy you. I, I remember having that thought. And I said, but if you get out of the relationship and you come out of this, at least you know you'll heal. In this you're probably never going to heal. And then I looked at his mom and his dad and they are always dealing with a lot of stuff. I'm talking about, you know, even in their old age, they were always dealing with infidelity. I'm talking about major dads always. It, it was just, and I remember just looking and, t and, and, and being honest with myself and saying, this is what where y'all are heading because this is what's normal to him. This is what he feels like a marriage should look like. That's what he feels like love is. He doesn't mind the toxicity, the brokenness, and all of the negativity. For him, it's just sticking around. And I made a decision in that moment when I realized, you know, hey, Tiff, you're going to die in this if you don't get out of it. Not only is he going to kill you, even if the dude don't kill you, you're just as good as dead. I was afraid of the aftermath. I'm only saying that to say... That a lot of times, the reason that you find yourself not doing what God told you to do is because you're afraid of what's on the other side of uncertainty. You're afraid that whatever it is, is going to crush you. And I can honestly say I idolized that guy. I was tormented by the thought of being without him. But when we broke up, it was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. I had dealt with the worst of it in, in the marriage, grieving the marriage. I had dealt with the worst of it while there, while fighting with him, while, you know, late nights when he didn't come home. All of that, I had dealt with that then. I dealt with the straight up torment, suicidal thoughts. I dealt with all that then. By the time we broke up, I actually started a healing journey. I actually started on the journey toward healing because I was at that space where I knew where I was heading. See, when I was married, that's the big, the worst part was not knowing. The hard part was not knowing. Not knowing if we're going to make it. Not knowing if he's going to take my life today. Not knowing if there's going to be another child to pop up. Not knowing if this man's going to bring me home a disease. Not knowing what's going to happen. Not knowing how much humiliation. Not knowing. It, it was just the uncertainty. The uncertainty. But once we broke up, there was this sense of relief because there's a certainty. 
is very similar. And if you've never experienced death, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anybody who's ever had like a sick parent or watch somebody they love start going through a process where they are breaking down, where they're sick and, you know, like fighting with cancer or fighting with something, you will fight for them. You will love them. You look up remedies. You give them medicine. You're doing all of that stuff. And then that's it, it keeps eating their health. But the day that they die, and a lot of people can testify to this, you feel a sense of relief. And it's not because you're like, okay, good, they're dead now and I can get my life back. No, because you feel like they're no longer in pain. There's a sense of relief that you have. Now, you still go back to grieving. I remember the, the day that my mother died. My mother passed away in my house. My sister was down here and, you know, we were um, trying to take care of her. My mom had been in a comatose, comatose state. She was fighting with lung cancer. And um, my mom, while she was, you know, laying in that bed, she just wasn't waking up. And so they had a hospice nurse that would come. And whenever, before she got went fully into that state, she started hallucinating real bad. Started talking about people trying to kidnap her. And I knew she was seeing demons and I was praying for her, uh, casting demons out, covering her with the blood of Jesus and all. But it was hard seeing my mother in that state. And it got to the point where my mother literally slept, you know, from the, the last two weeks of her life, maybe three weeks, last two or three weeks of her life, she would just sleep. You know, um, they, we would have to try to wake up. She didn't want to eat. Um, she had to wear a diaper or what have you. And the day, you know, after my, my sister woke me up, said, mom's not breathing. Uh, we had the ambulance come. They transported her to the hospital. We got dressed. We followed. When we get, by the time we got to the hospital, they told us that my mother was gone. And I couldn't feel anything. I was hurt. But on the other hand, I already felt like my mother was gone. See, that's what happens in relationships. Sometimes when you're with somebody, you already know that they're gone. Right? Even though they're physically present, but they are emotionally, mentally, they're gone. I knew that my mother was gone. Matter of fact, the day before my mother fully passed away, before she was coded, the Lord told me that my mother was with him and she didn't want to come back. And I told that to my sister and she didn't want to hear that. But that was what gave me peace. Now, there was this sense of relief that I had whenever my mother passed. And my sister had that sense of relief as well. Because I remember we did something and everybody grieves differently. As soon as my mother passed, we had been cooped up in the house for like two or three weeks. Um, as soon as my mother passed, the day that she passed, after we left uh, the hospital we came home my sister was like i need to get out of the house i don't want to sit in the house i was like me neither she said let's go to the mall so i took her to a few places until i got tired because then i realized i'm like you know what i need to go home and grieve i need to you know and, and she didn't want to come home and we actually got into an argument about that because she wanted to she just wanted to paint the town, town red um but i was like no i want to go home and so i left her at the mall i dropped her off at the mall um because i think we hadn't gone to the mall. We had went somewhere else. But she ended at the mall. She was like, um, I want to go to the mall. I said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you what. I'll take you to the mall. I'll drop you off. You can get an Uber bag. I'm not going to sit here and walk around. Because it was starting to get nighttime. My mom passed away in the morning. I'm saying that to say that we begin to grieve while my mom was still in her body. Because we already knew in so many ways that she was already gone. Her soul was no longer there. She was already going through the process of breaking down. It's the same thing with relationships. 
You know, you grieve while you're in the relationship. That's the fighting. That's the arguing. That's the hurting. That That's all that. That's just grief. It's the two of you grieving while in the relationship. And then when it's over with, typically, like I said, women um, typically grieve in the relationship. And men don't. Men typically, because most of the time when you're dealing with a guy, um, it's been my experience with guys that they don't necessarily believe that the relationship can end, will end, or what have you. They just think, hey, we're having problems. Doesn't matter how toxic it gets. You need to, you need to, you need to settle down. Um, and then there's a lady that said something on TikTok. I thought I thought was really interesting. She was talking about. Um, well, she stitched this video of the men. This man, this man saying that women today think men are disposable. And the lady says something that was interesting because I don't agree with that man's statement. I think that women tend to idolize men. I think that we fight. I think that women are fighters for their marriages, honestly. I I've, I have yet to come across. I've come across, don't get me wrong, because I got two uncles that are six feet deep um, because of women. But I haven't come across a whole lot of women who have not fought for their marriage. I, I just haven't. I've come across mostly women who put on bear claws and lion's teeth and they they went to war for their marriage they went they did everything that they thought to do but in the end you know the guy was being prideful and it's not to say the man was always the case because you know the problem because in many cases the woman was but in the end the man was too prideful the bible says that what is that pride goes before destruction and the haughty look before fall and I found that that's the one thing that destroys so many marriages is pride. The majority of marriages are not destroyed because of adultery or money problems, even though those are the fruits. The root of most uh, marital destructions is pride. It's because somebody in the relationship was too prideful to get the help when their their help was available, when when the other person was willing. Um, the other person, in a lot of cases, it was the guy. I, like, again, I'm not saying that this is 100% the case, uh, but... In a lot of cases, it was the guy. The guy made it, made it up in his mind. You just trying to control me. And that's what typically what a guy will say whenever a woman is saying, hey, I don't like this. I don't want this or what have you. I, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. Then the guy, in many cases, if he's traumatized. He thinks that it's control on the woman's part. He says, you're trying to control me. And then he begins to be combative in that area because he thinks he's protecting his penis. He thinks he's protecting himself from being castrated. And so consequently, he will fight against his wife, but not realizing he's not only fighting against his wife, he's fighting against his vows. He's fighting against his marriage. And then consequently, the wife feels uncovered. She ends up needing deliverance and she starts fighting against the marriage as well. And both of them start tearing the marriage down with their own hands. Um, and then it becomes the destruction of a union. That's why the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. But whenever you're in the relationship most of the time the woman will grieve it the man will fight because in his mind he feels like i don't see what the problem is you're the only one with the problem i had an ex told me that he was like i don't have a problem with you you have a problem with me i said don't you see the problem in that that means i'm actually being a good like you don't have a problem with me but i'm telling you i'm not getting that in return he was trying to say that in a way to say that you don't want conjuring up problems. And I'm just like, no, I have a problem with this behavior. Um, and, and it was just a family member that was interfering. I have a problem with that. 
you know, what have you? I'm like, I have a problem with that. That's not healthy. You're not dealing with those things. You're not dealing with nothing on my end. Like there is no, no stuff coming from my end attacking you. There's only stuff coming from your end attacking me and you want me to be quiet about it. And I'm not, but, um, I'm saying that to say that you have to go through the healing process, but it's not always a good idea to heal while you're in the midst of a toxic situation. You know, and I get it because sometimes, you know, healing in the midst of a toxic situation doesn't feel like healing. It feels like fighting and it feels like you fighting for to make that situation better. But instead of me teaching this, let me say that. Let me say this. The best thing to do. And I'm not just talking about relationships like romantic relationships. I'm trying to kind of steer away from that topic. But the best thing to do in any type of relationship is communication i am such a proponent for communication because for me the people who get it like the people in my life that are communicators we have like we have a great relationship the ones who don't like communication are typically controllers because you got two different types of people you got communicators and you have controllers controllers are insistent upon having their own way communicators understand that we have to negotiate the bible says come let us reason together communicators understand that hey i may not get my way you know but let's come let's hear each other's side so we can get empathy into the equation and we can apply logic and you can see my side and i can see your side and we can come to a conclusion because sometimes two people are saying the same thing using different words you know and sometimes you know you got two people that want the same thing. They just want to go about it a different way. And I can tell you, like for me, I've learned, and this, this is why it's always good. The Bible says, love God with all of your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, meaning love yourself first so that you can love your neighbor. This is one of the things I've learned. And me coming to know myself and me loving myself, I've learned that my first take on a, on a matter is not always the best. So I've learned to revisit it. Let me tell you, I've learned that recently. Because I've had a few encounters recently where, like a customer, for example, may send me an email or, you know, they'll place an order or what have you. And I'm reading it and I get frustrated because the customer is just too much. You know, it's just too much. The customer is putting a whole lot of details and question marks and it's confusing. And the order looks like an order out of hell. And I've literally had cases where I was about to call the customer and cancel their order because it looked so overwhelming. Now, I'm not an emotional person, so I'm not sitting there, oh, my God, breaking down. Instead, I'm looking and I close it out. I'm like, I'm not dealing with this right now. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this right now. And then I go and I find something else to work on, you know, and then I come back to it. And it's funny. Whenever I get into that mental space where I'm ready to come back to it, I'm like, let me go ahead and do this lady's logo or let me go ahead and do this man's seal. When I come to the place where I'm ready to do to work on it and I open it up and I start looking and I'm like, oh, I get what they're saying. It's not that big of a deal. Why did I make this a big deal in my head? Why did I make this a big deal in my heart? It's because sometimes my first take, if something, it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't flow well, right then and there, I can get frustrated and shut down. It's important that you understand those things about yourself. A lot of people don't know how they react to conflict. It, Y'all, I'm telling you, I, I teach that with passion because I know that a lot of times, so if I don't know that about myself and I'm trying to engage, let's say a friend of mine. And she says something that's confusing to me. 
I, if I don't know that about myself, I can get frustrated and offend her. I can get frustrated and say, I, I, let's just stop. I don't, I don't want to hear that. Oh, what have you? Now, just, 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 I don't want to hear it. No, because no, your problem is this. Your pro and I've had people to do that to me. But instead, because I understand that about myself, this, I, I preach this, y'all. I'm passionate about this. Because I understand that about myself, if somebody's trying to explain something to me and I don't get it initially, then what I may do is stop and say, wait, stop, slow down. I, I didn't get it. Explain it to me again. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Because, you know, sometimes people be moving real fast. And I stop, stop, stop. Explain that to me again. If it's too frustrating, if I got something else on my mind, then I may say, can we revisit this later? Can we revisit this later? Because right then and there, your brain is like traffic. Your brain has, okay, everybody's brain is like a highway. Some people got dirt roads. Some people got two-lane roads. Some people got one-way roads. Some people got highways. Some people got freeways. The smarter people have freeways. But even with freeways, freeways are going to be relatively um, packed. I mean, there are a lot of thoughts coming in. These are what we call the overthinkers. But there's a lot of traffic coming in. And you got people that got dirt road thoughts. You know, they don't have that much information coming in at any given time. The roads are, ain't that much traffic on the road or what have you. And typically, they just don't have nothing else to do with their time. And they just want to scroll the internet and start a fight. You, Those type of people can't be with folks who have freeway minds. So... You have to understand how you process information. You got to understand, am I a dirt road? Are my thoughts dirty? Am I always talking perverted or, you know, talking twisted? I'm going to get me son tonight. Or am I a freeway of thoughts? Am I an overthinker? And you have to understand, once you start to better understand yourself, it makes it, and this is why the 40s are so amazing, because your 20s are you still a big child. That's it. You're 20. You're, you're nothing but a child inside of a, a, a grown-up body. And you're exploring that body. Most of the time in your 20s, you're out there doing stuff with that body that you shouldn't be doing. Your 30s, you think you figured it out. In your 30s, you're probably ready to settle down. Your 30s, you think you're ready to settle down anyhow. You're wanting to go out here and get married because you have all these fantasies and these plans and all these great things that you want to do. Nevertheless, 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 you have not figured you out. Remember the Bible told you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Your spouse, guess what? It's going to be your neighbor, one of your neighbors. So you have, you have not yet, in a lot of cases, come to truly wholeheartedly love yourself. So you are looking for other people to come in and to love you. You're looking for other people to come in and to validate you, to affirm you. In your 30s, you're looking for that. At some point... I say around the 35-year mark, you have this epiphany. Nobody's coming. Somebody wrote a book. I published a book for a client of mine called No One Was Coming. No One Is Coming. And I thought, oh, man, this is really dark. You know, the book is good, but I was thinking to myself, like, you know, are people going to really, because, you know, people don't like to hear the truth. People like to hear, you know, that God's going to give you houses and cars and stuff like that. They don't like to hear Ain't nobody going to pick you up off of that ground. Ain't nobody going to stop you from jumping off of that ledge. You start talking about suicide, there's nobody going to come kick your door in and save your life. You're going to have to pick yourself back up. A lot of people don't want to hear that. But the book actually does really well. It was a, like I said, it was a really, really good book. I just thought the title would kind of, I thought the title would kind of, you know, make people say, eh. no, but actually it's, it's really good. It's an ingenious um, title. It's an ingenious book or what have you. But 
in your 40s, you come to realize that I'm responsible for everything that happened to me. Most people in their 40s, anyhow. There are so many shifts that you go through. You come to realize that if I want it done, I got to make it happen. There's nobody going to come do it for me. I, I can't look. Okay, let me say this. I'm, I'm going to say this, and this is going to sound asinine, but it is what it is. In your 40s, you start aging. You start seeing the aging process, right? You don't necessarily look like yourself anymore to you. And you don't have, in some cases, some women I've seen, you know, some people age amazingly. But you don't have that youthful charm that you used to have. When you're in your 20s, you can flirt your way into getting what you want. You know, you can use that little, I call it the baby body because your metabolism is through the roof. You can use your little body, your baby body and all of that in your 30s. You're still, you know, kind of snatched and everything's still in place. Everything's still tucked away nice. And in your 30s, especially in your early 30s, life is still, you know, it, it, honestly, you think it's hard, but it's easy. It's easy. The only part that's hard is your emotions. It's because you don't have them under control and you're still trying to conquer the world rather than conquering your soul. That's a whole other message. You're still trying to conquer the world. You're still out here trying to impress folks. You're over here dealing with rejection, all of that, all that foolish stuff. You get to your 40s, it's a wrap. You get to your 40s, you, you realize that, hey, listen, I'm rolling up on my 50s. That's how you think in your 40s, I'm rolling up on my 50s. The minute they tell you you're 40 years old, you start thinking I'm rolling up toward 50. Um, I no longer have time to flirt with people, if that makes sense. I no, no longer have time to flirt with ideas. I no longer have time to wait and hope for something to happen. To think that somebody's going to find me cute enough to make me rich. You know, and thankfully I wasn't a person that thought like that. But a lot of young women think like that. A lot of young guys think like that as well. You get in your 40s, you realize if you want it to happen, you're going to have to make it happen. Of course, through... Um, Holy Spirit, if you if you wise, but you come to realize it's not gonna happen by chance. Nobody's gonna come along and give you. Okay, let me say this, and I know I'm all over the place. Just forgive me, but these are the thoughts that are coming in. I I do an entrepreneurial class, and one of the classes I do um also is my remnant writers class, and I have to teach entrepreneurs and new writers this. Stop looking for supporters. You know how many times I have to coach them off of a ledge? People are angry because they publish a book. And right when, you know, when you're put, writing a book, you're putting your heart into it. You're telling your story. You're humiliating yourself in many cases. You're talking about emotions that people didn't know you had. Situations and problems and issues that people never knew you struggled with. You're putting your life in that book. So you're thinking as you're writing a book because you know it's good. You know it's powerful. You think you're thinking that it's going to be a bestseller. People are going to come out. They're going to buy this book. It's going to do immaculate, you know, and all of that stuff. But people don't really know you. So you start relying on your supporters, your Facebook page, your Facebook community, your um, Instagram community, your TikTok community, your YouTube community, your Twitter community. You start relying on them. Because you start telling people, hey, my new book is going to be published on May this. And everybody, you know, when you post it up, it's funny. Everybody comes and likes your status. It's like 300 likes, you know. Everybody's like, congratulations, really proud. Some people share it. And when you're young in that thing, you think that that means that they're supporting you. 
So you count 354 likes, $20 a book. Oh, that's about overweight. Yep, about $6,000, about $7,000. Oh, yeah, about $7,000. I should be banking really good. Of course, they're going to take their cut out for royalties and all that. But yeah, this should be really good. And once you publish that book, once you put it out there to the world, you find out supporters are supporters. Of those 300 people, only three people are going to buy your book. You know, if, if, if you're lucky, if you have a strong supporter, a supportive, supportable unit, you may get 30 sales. But that's it. That's it. You put more money into publishing the book than you did. And so a lot of people end up getting angry. You know, I, I had somebody I talked to recently and he was talking about pulling his book to, re, to republish it um, because it didn't do so well. And I said, no, it has nothing to do with it not doing well. There's a season for everything. And I, I wish we all understood that. It takes time to get that. My books, when I first started putting books out there, they didn't do that well because nobody knew me. Not too many people knew me. It wasn't until I did a video that went darn near viral that my book started selling. But by that time, I already had like 10, 15 books on the market. So I'm saying that to say that you have to just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and then let God bring success and in, in due season. But people get mad at their supporters. And I tell people, I don't really care to have supporters supporting me because what a supporter does is they buy your stuff to keep you from getting mad. They buy your stuff to show you that I, I support you. And then they get your book and they use it to hold up their couch. They don't read it. They're not promoting it. They're just supporting you. So those are not actual, I mean, while they're actual sales, they're not actual, uh, I, I know the word I want to say. They're not actual, it starts with a T and I can't even think of it. But these are not people that are going to take your book and say, this is good. It changed my life. It stopped me from doing this. It helped me to do that. And I also told a few people about it. They're not going to start a book club with your book. These people are just supporters. So in the world of business, you have to learn that this, this world called this, this word called target target audience. And when you don't know that you will be a, you will be an angry business owner when you don't understand that you will have this attitude like, yeah, I, that's all right. And nobody's supporting me, but that's all right. It's at some point, you know, no, 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 they, you don't need their support. Um, you want to get your, you want to reach your target audience, but that's not what we're here for. I'm only saying that a lot of times, again, we we have a tendency. Women have a tendency to heal inside of relationships. Men have a tendency to heal outside of the relationship. Um, and honestly, I, I I I can say this: a lot of people don't heal. That's why we have a lot of hurting people hurting people. And this is why um, first time marriages, fifty percent of first time marriages end in divorce. 60% of second time marriages end in divorce and 70% of third time marriages end in divorce because people are getting married hurt. And what's sad and what's frustrating is that people are not trying to do the work to heal because they're too busy pointing the fingers and blame, not realizing that that's not going to help you to get everybody to believe that the other person wronged you. And that's the reason why your relationship fell apart, fell apart it faltered. That's not going to help you because you're going to still have the same wounds, the same issues, the same insecurities when you go into the next relationship. 
And, you know, we got to stop thinking that a different person, you know, means that's going to be a different response. You know, well, he didn't understand because all of this stuff happened to me when I was a little girl. So he didn't understand. But you know what? Now I'm with such and such or what girl. And you know what? He, you know, he helps me. And whenever I'm having an episode or whenever I'm having this, no, 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 there's nobody, there's nobody responsibility to host your issues. There's nobody responsibility to make space for your issues. The Bible says give no place for the devil. And so you're not supposed to give place for the devil in your life. And people are not supposed to give place for your devils in their lives as well. Give no place for the devil. It is your responsibility to heal. It is your responsibility to do the hard work and to say, I'm jacked up. It is your responsibility to say, okay, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing because pride will challenge you to not say that. Pride will want you to go out there and try to tell the world that you know what you're doing and, and everything is going to be fine and everything is going to go well. Pride will have you doing that and then pride will destroy everything that you ever try to build once it's done. No, that's not the life that you want to live. At some point, you got to find a model that you or a couple or something to model yourself after. For me, I found that I found how God does a thing to break a curse. What God typically does is he gives you somebody else to look up to. You know, I, like I said, my parents divorced when I was um, 16 years old. They started going through the divorce process um, process when I was 15. But that's what I saw. I saw a dad that didn't want to work, that was relatively lazy, um, who was a big dreamer, though. He was, I mean, hugely intelligent. Uh, still is extremely intelligent, big dreamer, but no motivation. He had no that, and I saw a mom that really didn't support him. And honestly, I can't say she is her fault because at the end of the day, he didn't have, she, he didn't build trust in that area. You know, I used to think and I used to say, oh, see, daddy should have married somebody else that supported him, that believed in him and daddy would have done better. No, because now that I'm a grown woman and I've tried to push my dad, I see my dad don't want to move. My dad wants everything to you know, move for him or what have you. And I, I, I've even offered to, hey, just write it out and I'll, I'll publish it and what have you. And he still just doesn't do it. So I come to realize that you can support people all day long. Um, but at the end of the day, they got to put the work in. After seeing their marriage and seeing all of that, what God did was he allowed me when I came to him, when I got saved, when I surrendered my life to him, to see good godly marriages that lasted good godly marriages that did not end they did not end in divorce they did not end as a matter of fact one of the first i will tell you two of them that stands out to me one was a guy that used to mentor me um and i can say his name make sure i give him credit dr john butler he told me about success that him and his wife had acquired um or what have you and he was mentoring me for some time and it wasn't like an official, like, okay, official mentorship, but it was a mentorship nonetheless. He mentored me for some time. Amazing man of God. A lot of the stuff he told me still sticks to me to this day. And that he, he was mentoring me. It was like 2009. He told me about him and his wife's marriage and he really blessed my life. At this time I was married, but he really blessed my life. He said that in the beginning of their marriage, he said, Tiffany, you know, I used to, um, I didn't necessarily trust, like when she, when she tell me about women and she tell me this and she tell me that, I didn't necessarily trust 
everything that she said, you know, because I feel like she was trying to control me. I was young, prideful, big headed, all that. And he said, but everything that she said came to pass. And he said, but you know, one thing that I respect about it, he said, she never rubbed my nose in it. He said, she let me learn my lessons. Every, she never, she never rubbed my nose in it. And he told me they're hugely successful um, to this day and they don't really fight. They don't argue. They get along really well. And I'm like, that's beautiful. And, you know, I saw videos because that's how I met him. He actually took one of my videos. I mean, one of my books and um, he did an advertisement for it. Like I said, hugely successful guy. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe my, my book is on his show. Um, it was my very first book. Uh, the Gospel Propeller is the first rendition of it. But, yeah, I was really excited. And I reached out to him to say thank you and ended up um, chatting with him a couple of times. Next thing you know, you know, I'm gleaning from it. I was gleaning from him. I remember when I moved to Germany, I remember being on the phone with him because I remember that, 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 that conversation I had with him. I was living in Germany. He was still in America, America of course. Another relationship that stands out to me is the relationship between um what is this man's name uh, his face is in my head i just had his name miles monroe dr miles monroe and his wife he said him and his wife didn't argue and i thought that was so beautiful and since then you know the lord started laying that on my heart like there was this this burden there was this beautiful burden on my heart like and a marriage without fighting and I said that that's a possibility and I started looking it up and I started seeing people and I, I actually talked about it on my YouTube channel and I was really blessed when people came into the comment section and saying yeah my parents had that type of marriage or you know or they, they made it a point that they would discuss everything and of course you can only have that type of marriage with a person who's healthy emotionally mentally and spiritually you can't have that type of marriage with somebody who is insistent upon cheating or having their way somebody who's emotionally uh, mentally and spiritually immature you can't have that type of relationship with that that type of person it has to be somebody who's you know somebody who's mature and you yourself have to be mature but i realized that those type of relationships were a possibility but the only way that you could acquire that type of thing is you had to become everything that you wanted in a spouse you know because it, it is asinine to to for you to be crazy to be broken to be uh, idiotic. I hate to say that, but it's asinine for you to be in a poor state and desire somebody who's in a good state because in that case, you're, demon you're demonized. You're only looking to hurt that person. You may not have that in a, on the forefront of your mind, but if your heart is wicked, if your heart is broken, if you are a, a an abusive person, if you are a broken person, then there's something in your heart that wants to hurt that person. And there's something in you that doesn't like to see wholeness. There's something in you that doesn't like to see happiness or you think you can take it from that person. You think that if I get with him or if I get with her, uh, my life would be better. My life would be easier. And that's not true. Your life will always mirror the state of your heart right now. This is why I am an advocate for healing. I tell people, please go out here and heal in these streets. Don't be out here just getting into relationships thinking that you're going to talk about what Tyrone did to you and the next guy's going to do you better. It doesn't work like that. Like I said, when you get into your 40s, realistically uh, speaking, or reality kicks in and you start realizing that if I want to have that life, that I have to make it happen in Christ because you can't do anything outside of him. But if I want to be happy, I'm going to have to be happy independent of a person. If I want to be whole, I have to be whole independent of a person. If I want to be wealthy, I have to be wealthy independent of another person. I saw 
somebody tagged me on Instagram of this lady and um, has a lot of followers, never heard of her before. But I, I, I don't think I, and this is one of those things where I, got, I need to go back and look at it again because she wasn't making sense from what I listened to. And she was talking about women sabotaging themselves or, you know, for women who wanted wanting to be married, who are sabotaging themselves by going out there and acquiring success before they get in a relationship. Not in so many ways. She was saying the gist of it because I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm mirroring her words. But in a gist, this is what I took from it. I took from it that she was saying that we were hurting ourselves by going out there and acquiring wealth, knowing that that was going to cause men to be intimidated. Um, and then now we turn around and get frustrated because nobody want us because now we got the wealth. Now we don't have a man. And I thought that was the most asinine thing. And I said, you know, but I got to come back and look at that again because I got tagged in it. So it wasn't something I had prepared my heart and my head to hear. Um, so I was like, yeah, I, I probably didn't hear her right. So I got off the got off of the video. I think I did go back one time. It was still the same thing. It was still fog. And I was like, yeah, I come back another time because she clearly not making sense. Um, so this this may not be her. It could be one of those situations where I'm just, yeah, I got a whole lot of highway, a whole lot of traffic going on in my mind right now. And that was crazy because at the end of the day, I tell people, don't you dare. Don't you dare sit up there and hold yourself back from success trying to wait on a man. You don't know how long it's going to be before that man come. And you want to be out here struggling in survivor's mode. Do you know when you're in survivor's mode, you're more likely to date the wrong man because you're trying to survive? People, I tell you. <laughs> so that's the thing. Heal. That's what today's message is. Is heal. I talked about this oral surgery. And this is the reason why I decided to do this message. This oral surgery, I was afraid of the aftermath. Honestly, terrified. I, I can't even say terrified. I'm, I'm still trying to look at how I really did feel. I was terrified. Of, I was terrified of the healing process. I didn't want to go through it. I didn't feel like being uncomfortable. You know, I kept putting it off. I kept calling the dentist's office and rescheduling and uh, like, can I cancel it? And can we reschedule it? Like how long? And I literally did this two, maybe three times. I can say two times for sure. Um, they were like, how long? I'm like, like six months from now. <laughs> I pushed it back. I really did. I pushed it back. Uh, then when it came up to this time, I was like, you know what, Tiffany, there's no sense in you pushing this back again. You need to go ahead and get this done. Me and my students are going to Jamaica soon. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not, I don't have that on the top of my head. You know, like, oh, when I come back from Jamaica, I got that or what have you. At the same time, I didn't want my dentist to counsel me out and be like, you know what? I'll tell you what, go on and deal with your issue on your own or what have you so thankfully um this is the part of the message that I, I meant to get to earlier but thankfully i got to it now i'm i'm actually glad that i got it over with because it has been almost nearly painless honestly it has been nearly painless um so i had a couple of my sisters in christ to help me out because they required you have somebody at the 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 clinic the dentist office with you they did the the surgery at the office but they you got to have somebody with you because you're sedated um and so they 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 are they it's mandatory so I had one of my sisters in Christ who actually took off and she came up there and she sat there and um I didn't want to burden and that's one of my issues I don't like to burden people 
I didn't want a burden. And so I asked my other sister in Christ. I was like, okay, she's going to sit up there with me about three or four hours. And then could you come and pick me up, you know, from there and then, you know, transport me back to the house and kind of sit with me a couple of hours. Because they said somebody didn't sit with you all day. But I told her, I was like, listen, and the Lord rebuked me on this because I told her, I was like, listen, just get me upstairs. Take me up the stairs, put my tail in the bed. I'm like, pretty much just dump me off and I'm good. Take the dog out, make sure he pee and do what he got to do and I'm good. Uh, but the Lord rebuked me on that because the Lord showed me I was really just mishandling myself, telling, giving a person, and thankfully she didn't do that. She knew better. But um, just telling the person, hey, you ain't got to care about me or what have you. Uh, but I don't remember after the surgery. Uh, my friend girl told me that I told her I was going to be the president of the United States. <laughs> um, but the only thing I do remember, uh, and it, it created a memory because I, I remember having pain um, in my throat. I remember having, I could feel my, my mouth was in pain. And I remember I had a, a bad sore throat. And I remember thinking, and I was high from the anesthesia, sedation, whatever they gave me. But I was still high from that. But I just remember thinking, I hope this is not how I'm going to feel. That was the only thing I can remember. I also remember, I don't remember them bringing me up the stairs in my house. But I do remember when I got upstairs, I had already set a nightgown out because I didn't want to get in the bed with the clothes I wore at the doctor's office because I don't like to transfer. It, I'm just weird like that. Um, I think I remember starting to take my clothes off and my friend like oh you want to put that gown on i think she left the room and i changed and what have you and then i also remember when i got into bed then these are i'm having spotty memories it's back it's very similar to back in the time when i was in the world <laughs> when i got sloppy drunk but um i also remember my dog jumping up on the bed and i think he was stomping me you know he was having he was just too excited because it was people in the house and two people that he loves dearly and he was just stumping me you know he was having a blast and they were trying to rope him and all that and so i remember getting up and showing them where his uh harness was because one of the young ladies was getting ready to try to take him outside so i remember showing her where his harness was and that's it after that i was out like a light but once i woke up i still had a little bit of the soreness i could feel it a little bit but it wasn't unbearable I took the medication and I have, uh, it's been, this is day like four or five, I think. Yeah, day of four, four or five. I literally have not felt much of any pain, honestly. I mean, I can feel the stitches in my mouth. I can feel, um, I feel when I try to drink something cold, good God, that was an experience. Um, but since then, I haven't, it, it, I'm saying it to say it was nowhere near like I thought it was going to be. And I'm halfway through the healing process. I'm halfway through the healing process. And it's nowhere near. I asked a guy in my church. I was like, and he was telling me, oh, yeah, I had to have implants. And I don't know if the guy, because I think they told me that uh, the surgery is over with. But I hope I hope it is. Um, I got mixed signals from, like, di I got different information from different doctors, uh, different people at the hospital, at the clinic. Um, when I was in the main room, that lady, she gave me some really good information. I was like, so how many surgeries am I going to have to have? And she was like, this is it. I was like, oh, this is it. Because like I, the information I'm getting, like I got to get like two or three. And she was like, no, this is it. Um, but I'm saying that to say, honestly, I'm okay. And if I 
had known I would be okay like this, I would have done this a long time ago. You see what I'm saying? We waste a lot of time trying to delay the inevitable, only causing ourselves more emotional, mental, and sometimes even physical damage when all we had to do was just go ahead and submit to the process. Really not submit to the process, but submit to the God of the process. Because the God of the process will take care of you. I know that a lot of things are painful. I can say for me, you know, I think the most painful things you ever go through in life are divorce papers, for example. You know, the most horrific thing for any person to have to endure is because it's like signing a death certificate. Um, it's, it's like signing and saying that you failed. But whatever it is that you are in the midst of, pray about it, get wise counsel, but also understand that the other side is nowhere as bad as you have told yourself is going to be. One. And two. You can make it bad. And I wish I had more time. Because it's only giving me three more three minutes to talk. I think about when I went through a divorce the first time. And like I said. I had idolized this guy. I was a babe in Christ. But um, my friend. My best friend at the time. She was going through a divorce as well. We were both going through a divorce at the same time. And one of the things I remember, I made a, I made a plan to heal, an intentional thing. Like I was praying about it. I don't think she made that in her head to heal. She was just hurt. She was just hurt. And if you would have asked her, she would have justified it with, hey, I got two kids. You didn't have no kids with yours. I had two miscarriages. But she was hurt. I learned a lot watching and seeing what unforgiveness had done to her. Honestly. Because many times I would have to talk to her. She helped me out a lot. You know, while I was with the guy. But I helped her out a lot at the end of, you know, our marriages. Um, talking to her and trying to get her to see the, the, the bright side of everything. Trying to get her to understand that this is not the end of you. You know, because she was just so hurt and so angry. Because this guy really did. He did a number on her. You know, and mine did too. But the thing was, I was looking at the bright side of it. See, this is how you get past a lot of hurt. I told myself, it's only what you tell yourself. If you tell yourself that the other person is happy and they're going to be happy and you're going to be miserable and they're going to be off with somebody else and it's not fair and, and, and they're going to go off in life and everything is going to, you will torture the crap out of yourself. That's not what I told myself. That's what she told herself. I told myself, you're going to heal, Tiffany. You are an amazing woman. Some man's going to find you, and you're going to be an amazing wife to him. And he's going to appreciate that because he's going to know the difference between a woman and a wife. I told myself, you're going to be successful. And one day, I envisioned me being that woman laughing and just being happy and not having any type of anger toward the the guy in my past I envisioned that and I remember meeting a woman and I may have to do a part two if I do a part two it's going to be short I remember re meeting a woman matter of fact I met a woman at my church and um we started talking one time and she started telling me that she was on her third marriage and um they've been married like I, I think like 20 something years and you know this is the one this is the the good one this is the one that God sent and this is a blessing and you can tell he's a very calm guy very good guy she talked about so her story mirrored mine and it was a picture of this is what this is what God was saying that okay 
this is what your future looks like in that area. You know, this is what your future looks like in that area. Meaning, you will have that healthy, good, godly relationship. And it's not even supposed to be about relationships. But you will have that, but you have to become that. And that's the thing I've taken from all of it is make sure that you are healed. Make sure you're doing the work. And this is why I place a demand on any man that looks my way for him to do the work so that he can heal as well. That way he doesn't come in expecting me to heal him. And then consequently he end up hurting me and feeling safe with me while I feel unsafe with him. Anyhow, I likely have to do it. Part two. I hope this message blessed you. I love you and God bless you.